Yeah, welcome, welcome to Pop Up Submissions, the live weekly show on YouTube where you, me, and my special guests try to find tomorrow's bestsellers and their authors. And here on the panel today, I'm delighted to introduce for the first time. Yeah, she's the doyen of children's publishing here in the UK. We're delighted to welcome to Pop Ups for the very first time, Julia Eccleshire. And over in the other corner, my second guest this week is already well known to absolutely everybody. She's one of our wonderful team of narrators here on Pop-Ups. She is writing for children uh, herself right now. It's welcome back to the multi-talented Ali Gardner. <laughs> and we review your submissions. It's only fair that you should review ours, I suppose. Let's see what the latest comment is. And please do send us comments in, good, bad and different. We take notice of all of them. This is from Robin. This is amazing. Oh, that's good. Sounds like it's, it's a good one. I wasn't available during the live show, but I'm super thankful to hear a little about what's going on inside the agent's mind when they see Athena's pitch. I guess that was your submission. Thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed, Robin. Let's have a look at the monthly leaderboard so far. And last week's winner, Baby Hitler's by Matt, shoots straight into the current number one position in this month's leaderboard so far, followed by Olivia's YA story exploring identity loss and forgiveness through a family's encounter with a faith healer. Very exciting. Who knows what's going to happen this show? Maybe we'll have another monthly winner. I don't know. Julia, you've had a, an illustrious career in children's publishing. What got you into it in the first place? Uh, well, luck, like happens to most people. Uh, I took a job after university uh, on the Time Century Slotment, very distinguished paper. I was a uh, history student. I was meant to be advising about history books, but they had a wonderful uh, supplements they did on children's books. And um, I just... I thought that was more fun to read than the history books. Well, was about, yeah, well that's fair enough, I suppose. What was it, though, about children's publishing? Because I, I can remember a long time ago when children's publishing was really the Cinderella of the publishing business. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't oh. growing up an adult. Oh, no, no, it really was. And, I mean, mm. it, was, um, it was very under-regarded. But, yeah. uh, in a way, what was so great about it, it was a, it's a, and it still is, it's a tiny world. It's very perfectly formed. It's filled yeah. with very nice people. There are not nearly so many big egos as there are in adult publishing. Mm. And we had a very clear sense of purpose because, you know, we had this bonus feeling we were doing good for our readers because kind of it's yes. good for children to read yeah. um we had a natural constituency because we had wonderful children's librarians who were keen to get the books into the kids hands um we felt pretty bum about it actually yeah. Yeah. i mean you know we lived in we lived under the stairs but i mean we all know what happens to people who live under the stairs you know this is in the end that you have the golden future they just and, go uh, we, yeah. yeah well or they end up in hogwarts and we felt that we well we really loved what we did and there was a, a gang of very distinguished children's books editors all female yeah. needless to say yeah. and uh, another reason why they were badly paid and um it was just we felt really positive about what we yeah. were doing yeah. and we had uh terrifically good contacts with the american publishing scene so that made it feel very good fun and international yeah. 
and also we knew we were at the cutting edge i mean you know we were we were talking about sex for children when people yeah. were still being very prudish yeah. it felt good really yeah. good yeah. and we were talking about diversity in the 1970s when other people work and it weren't Absolutely. and in fact yeah. we got told off by the adult publishing well the adult authors <laughs> were saying you you can't make people write stories with different characters in it and we said yes you can and you yeah. have to you yeah. know yeah. so it was it was such good fun it still yeah. is such good fun it's yeah. a very great part of the publishing business it is a calling isn't it i have to say on on average uh, i'm going to offend you know half of my uh, publishing contacts now on average children's publishers are nicer people actually they're just really nice, I think. Anyway, uh, here we are. Here's our first submission of the day. It's a children's picture book, and it's from Justine. It's called Little Brown Mouse in a Hole and a Whole Lot of Bother. And this is Justine's blurb. I would love you to take a look at my self-illustrated picture book, she says. Doesn't sound like a blurb, sounds like a letter. I would be so excited and slightly terrified to be picked for your pop-up show. In essence, the synopsis of the tale is that Little Brown Mouse needs help to get out of the hole he finds himself in and finds it in an unlikely place. I hope it will start a conversation with young children about feelings of depression and anxiety. Let me tell you about our author. Um, our author Justine says my passion has always been drawing and painting this is my first attempt at getting something published I've worked as a mural painter for children's bedrooms and have done a lot of charity murals in a children's hospital in Dublin, Ireland um, I'm also a keen is there any other kind ukulele player um <laughs> Pre-COVID, I worked as a tour guide for Supplement to supplement my business. I specialised in food and whiskey tours. It's a tough gig. As you can imagine, I'm a bit of an Irish whiskey expert. That sounds very interesting to me, and possibly also very interesting to Kay, who is our narrator. Little Brown Mouse in a Whole Lot of Bother by Justine Murphy, read by Kay. A little brown mouse, not too far from home, fell down a deep hole while out for a roam. The sides were so steep he couldn't get out. With feelings of panic and feelings of doubt, our little brown mouse called out, Help! 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 And a smart engineer passing by heard his yelp. Sending down plans with some detailed instruction, our little brown mouse had the job of construction. But smart engineers can also be fools. For what good are plans when a mouse has no tools? Next to pass by was a kind-hearted neighbour. Would she be our brown mouse's hero and saviour? Sending down love in the form of a letter made little brown mouse feel a whole lot better. But while positive thoughts are great for the soul, they're not very helpful when stuck in a hole. Just when our mouse felt a little dejected and began to believe he was being neglected, his very good friend peered into the gloom, then took a big leap, calling out, Make some room! No, no, said Brown Mouse, now you are stuck too. This is no good, what on earth shall we do? But his friend wasn't worried, with his head gave a shrug and wrapped up our mouse in the biggest warm hug. Our little brown mouse felt a warm, fuzzy glow as his friend explained what our mouse didn't know. You see, his friend had been down this hole once before and knew the way out. 
through a small secret door. That's very short and sweet. And um, we do have our narrator in the genius room right now. Um, that is Ankora. And it's always interesting to hear from the narrators because they, they see it from a slightly different point of view. Uh, and she says, I like this and thought it was fun for kids. Glenn says, I would read this to a child. It's lovely. Galadriel says, very sweet. Vicky, I would happily read this to my grandchildren. Think they'd love it. Vagabond, the mice are very sweet. Jan's love it. Glenn says, very cute. Vagabond, quite big words. Eva, rhyme is a plus for children. And Kate says, what a cute mouse. And Andy says, lovely watercolor illustrations. What did you think of that, Julia? Well, I think it's a very, very good first attempt at a, at a picture book. Um, congratulations. But uh, I think, um, yes, I think rhyme is very good. Uh, obviously, Julia, and Don Julia Donaldson is the queen rhymer of picture books. Yeah. Uh, everybody else is trying to do the same. Uh, so rhyming picture books is a very crowded market. That would be the only downside to that. Um, I think the use of language is good. I would not have those capital letters in the random words that's irritating yeah um and i find it quite hard to judge because i think typically if you're looking at a picture book you have to look at it in terms of double page spreads yeah. because the yeah. way the pictures uh lead from one to the other is a very important part of it so i didn't see that which slightly means i'm not quite sure how the story would unfold yeah. Yeah. but i thought it was a, i thought it was a good story i thought the idea of having this subliminal message about you know helping people when they were yes. down was good <laughs> <laughs> I thought the mouse was a nice character. I think the title needs to be a lot snappier. Does there always need to be a message, Julia? Yeah. Does there always I need to be a message does. for children? Really? Yeah, I think there does. I think um, I, I don't think it, I don't think we normally get told it. If you see what I mean. I mean, I don't mm. think anyone told us what the message of Morris Sendak's classic, "Where the Wild Things Are." Yeah. But kind of when you read a top a top picture book, you you certainly know there's a message. Yes. And you know, I don't think anyone. I don't think Julia Donaldson told us what she was doing in the Gruffalo, but we again we know there's a message. Yeah, we got I think it, the we slight got problem yeah. at them. I think slight problem at the moment is people are putting the message before the medium, which is yes. a classic McLuhan way. You should you yeah. shouldn't. And actually, the most important thing with any book is its entertainment value. Yep. And actually, Fantastic. what the greatest what 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 the greatest picture book editor of all times, wonderful man called David Lloyd, who was the you know picture book editor at, at Walker Books, mm. said what all good picture books need is the R factor. I mean, not the R as in R, but the R as uh, in A H factor. Yeah, yeah. And so his hit and the classic example of that is guess how much I love you, and I think by Anita Duram and um her um. I know perfectly well what he's called. His name is Sam yeah. McBratney. Um, so I think I would look for a bit more R factor mm. and a little bit softer on the message. But Fantastic. I think it's a very, very good first first good attempt. First. Good. That's what, that's, I mean, you said everything that needs to be said, really. I think I don't know if Ali's got anything to add to that at all. <laughs> um, no, I, I agree. I loved it. I thought the illustrations were absolutely charming, very clear, very easy to follow, and, and just lovely. Um, I like the fact that it did actually have a proper plot. That sometimes with um, early attempts at picture books, it tends to be a sort of series of events rather than, you know, problem to be solved and, and then going about and actually getting it solved. Um, I thought it flowed very well, again, which is quite yes. difficult to do when, with your rhyming to get the cadence right to get the rhymes right um so i like that very much yeah I, I did wonder if it was slightly short um but again as, it, as it was said, short yeah yeah you need to see it on a spread perhaps to get 
better idea of that. Yeah. Um, and the only other thing I thought is perhaps if he was helped to solve his own problem rather than having it mm. solved by an outsider. All right. Um, yeah. So, Interesting. And, and quite how you twist that around. And, you know, there's many yeah. ways you could do it. But, um, but I think that was uh, my only comment in there. Oh, and I like the plenty of dialogue. Again, with a picture yeah, book I and with like kids, it. I think, you know, it's, it's, it's an easy way of sort of showing character and, and, and it does break it up, stop it being lumps of text. So I like that as well. Uh, Kate says, good point from you, uh, Ali, just now. Vic says, short is great when you're reading the bedtime story. Andy says, totally agree about the entertainment before the message. And I happen to know that Andy is a broadcast journalist, so he knows what he's talking about too. Let's go back to Julia just for a moment. Have you managed to uh, figure out the, the voting, Julia? Um, we need uh, uh, we need votes uh, for title, blurb, craft and yeah, bang. But, but the, mm, the blurb, I wasn't sure about that. Can I just say one more thing mm, about the, sure. uh, the uh, length? Yeah. Just because it is so important for anybody creating a picture book to know that picture books have to be a certain length. You can't just choose to write a certain number of words or a certain number of pages. They have to be 24 or 32. They have to be in units of eight. And you just have to do your storyboard so that you cover that amount of ground or it isn't a picture book. Oh, it's not a picture book. Fantastic it's just advice. A fact. <laughs> Fantastic advice. That's great. Um, do you need any help with the, um, the, the voting no? there, Julia? I can vote. Fantastic. Good. Let's have a look Shall at the I numbers. Can I press the vote button? Please do. Absolutely. Send, send it in right now. Um, Ali's given it a pretty good uh, vote for the title. I've only given it a low vote for the title. Sorry about that. Julia's just voted. Fantastic. Your very first vote on pop-up submissions, Julia. <laughs> yes. And uh, look at that. Uh, Justine, you should feel very pleased. I think you've got a 62 so far. Votes still coming in from the Genius Room. Um, let's have a look at our very next submission, shall we? <laughs> And the next submission. Is from Gillian. And it's called Marvelous Magical Mysteries of Dot Dot Dot. I love me a nice ellipsis. I'm not sure on the title though. Tricky Time Travels. Children's fiction, this is Gillian's blurb. Monty has really landed in it this time. Landed where? Landed when? Will he escape? What will become of his brother and sisters? Join Monty in this whirlwind adventure through space and time and watch the magic explode. Let me tell you about uh, Gillian. I'm a mum of three. My five-year-old is my inspiration. With ADHD qualities and processing delays, he struggles to read, write and hold attention. I haven't found any books that are able to do this. Hmm. So, wrote one myself. Creating a character in a book with ADHD qualities made him a hero. My aim is that not only will the children in the age category of three to, three to eight years enjoy the books, but that any child with or without these qualities will. I've toured the UK doing short plays and spent a lot of years reading scripts. I feel it's time for me to create some of those imaginary worlds for children to immerse into. And my goodness gracious me, the uh, multi-talented, multi-dimensional Allie is not just a guest today, she is also a narrator. Marvellous Magical Mysteries of Tricky Time Travelling by Gillian, read by Alison. Monty Monkey opens one eye peeking over the covers to spy. Monty yells loudly, I'm awake! They've got fun adventures to make. 
They all stretch out and stop their snoring. It's an early Saturday morning. The sun is shining big and bright. It's a warm, golden-yellow sight. Monty was already licking toothpaste. He loved to feel that cool, minty-fresh taste. They all brush their teeth and wash their faces. Today they'll have some magical races. Manda Panda ate up her toast, but Myrtle Turtle gobbled the most. Maximus Platypus had only one slice, while Monty made a mess of his juice and ice. Monty excitedly couldn't keep still, leaping in his rocket car. What a thrill! The others warm up doing jumping jacks, then hop in to join Monty on the tracks. Monty and Manda wait in their rocket, Monty clutching the key from his pocket. Myrtle and Maximus get in their rocket jet, listening out for the Ready! Get set! Seat belts are fastened with a click. Their engines power on with a flickety flick. With a twist of the keys and a whoosh and a whiz, off they zapped with a crackle and fizz. Travelling through time and space they flew. But where would they land? Nobody knew. Crash! Bang! Wallop! They land with a thud. The rockets smashed up, the kids covered in mud. They stared at their rockets that are totally broken. They stood in silence. Not a word was broken. Except for Monty. Overjoyed, and he giggled. Awesome! He laughed, as the mud on his face trickled. They certainly had travelled far from home, it would seem. They've landed in the future, where it's metallic and clean. Robots wheeled over and could see this was bad, as the kids' faces turned miserably sad. Getting to work, the robots helped and cleaned. Sparkling and shining, the kids' rockets gleamed. Then rub-a-dub-dub, they were showered in soap. The mud was gone, but their cars still broke. How will they get home? Is there any hope? Oh no! cried Manda. It's truly no joke! Clever Monty asked Mr. Squiggles for his super magic. Squiggles' drawings come to life. That should do the trick. I need a toolbox, and I need it quick. Squiggles sprang to life with a fizz, pop, ping. He drew a magic toolbox that had everything in. See, I told you, said Monty with a loud, pleased yelp. You can count on me to be the best of help. Their cars were now fixed. They could go on their way. Waving goodbye, oh, how they wished they could stay. With a twist of the keys and a whoosh and a whiz, off they zapped with a crackle and fizz. Travelling through time and space they flew. But where they would land, nobody knew. Falling out of their rockets, skidding near a cliff, they all felt frightened, scared rigid and stiff. They had landed in the prehistoric age, when dinosaurs roamed and men lived in caves. Quick sticks! yelled Monty, as they heard a roar. It's a Tyrannosaurus Rex, with a deadly jaw! Monty took Maximus, Manda and Myrtle, over and under the bushes they'd hurtle, ducking and diving and panting with fear. They paused to see if the coast was clear. And there they saw a magnificent sight, a Triceratops and Brontosaurus taking a stroll through the night. Maximus pleaded for help after climbing a tree. The kids didn't want to join the T-Rex for tea. But the dinosaurs were just as nervous. Manda sobbed, Now who will help us? Then Myrtle got an idea and jumped to her feet. I could use my magical night-night to send T-Rex to sleep. Of course, Anders squealed. What a great idea. Myrtle threw the night-night, landing it on the T-Rex's ear. The magical night-night would make you sleep and dream. It even worked on big dinosaurs, it would seem. 
magically twinkling, glittery, galore, a puff cloud of glitter, the T-Rex soundly would snore. The two hungry dinosaurs danced, tapping their feet. Finally they were able to have something to eat. They were starving because T-Rex had always been chasing, but now they could eat as no more fear they were facing. Through all this laughter and dancing they had all missed, who the dinosaur's feet had almost squished. Monty was cross, shouting out for a break. He could have been flattened like a flattened pancake. Triceratops gave thanks and fetched their rocket's cars. They'd all escaped closely, without bruises or scars. For their quick thinking that allowed the dinosaurs to eat at last, the Brontosaurus slingshot them through the air, super fast. With a twist of the keys and a whoosh and a whiz, off they zapped with a crackle and fizz. Travelling through time and space they flew, but where they would land, nobody knew. Thank you, Ali. Some good comments on your reading. Oh, I don't know about you. I'm overdosing a bit on uh, rhyming couplets. Let's see what the... Yeah, Ed says, whoosh and whiz. Emily says, feels much longer than 700 words. It does feel a bit long. And Cora, I've, in I've disengaged. Feels far too long. Needs strong edit. Galadriel, there is some nice rhyming, but needs a trim. Um, Vagabond, quite well done. It doesn't hold enough for me as an adult to want to have to read it out night after night children's books often do feel overlong says vicky in defense johnny <laughs> johnny says yes agree kate clunky at times hannah feels too long ali you read it you got inside it what did you think um i think it was an error to write it in in verse um there were there was several good things about it i mean time travel and space travel is is a great subject for a children's book uh, lots for an illustrator to get their teeth into uh several charming concepts um but there was many things that were were wrong with it for example at one point we have the problem solved and then we find out what the problem was and All i think right. if it was written out in yeah, yeah they threw the night at night and then suddenly then we knew what the the problem was with the other dinosaurs um and i think if this had been written out in prose or if it was written out in prose it become clear that the, the story doesn't flow very well that we really do need to have proper characterization at the end of it we still don't even know what he is we don't know if he's yeah. a child or an alligator i mean he could be literally anything um we know he's keen but apart from that there's very little else we know yeah and yeah. and certainly the cadence of the rhyming the rhyming itself was yeah. was off so yeah. uh, I, I think rewriting it out and perhaps keeping it as prose not trying to put it back into poetry because yeah. there was so much bending of concepts and english itself to try and make it rhyme it just didn't sit yeah yeah fair enough julia anything to add well i think that was absolutely the point that the the, the form interfered with the story uh, it didn't help the story, it hindered the story, and the form was, I mean, very, very skillfully done, except that it rendered, you know, it was a bit like listening to the Prime Minister, it rendered it pointless, <laughs> although... Oh, not as bad it was as that! Very, <laughs> well, it had the same quality of being kind of very uh, impressive, but actually it, it reduced the story to a kind of gobbledygook. But I think she did have something which is quite important to me in any picture book, which is, I think they have to have what I call the washing machine moment, I the moment when hmm. something actually happens so you're going along and then there's a kind of moment when you know uh, i mean i remember reading a naughty board book and 
thinking actually board books usually don't have a narrative but this was just noddy taking his car out but it did have a washing machine moment where something happened and so you wanted to get to the end i had i i think there was a moment in the forest when they they, they did they, with the magic with the bedside light the light something happened mm. but god knows what yeah. so i think she understood yeah. the nature of doing that but i don't think yeah. it quite worked within the words that were on yeah. the page yeah uh, well incisive analysis there let's look at the the numbers so far for you julian at the moment uh we're looking at a 41 a 41 let's just see what the outstanding bits were julian's room is 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 likes your craft gonna get a good solid 50 there but yeah um you're um we want to encourage you julian but we also want to be realistic so i think you've got some very good advice there i want to have a word with julia now because we've got lots of questions coming in for you actually julia let's ask the first one from bev um in terms of children and their loyalty to a genre or author are trilogies and the like more favored than standalones yes i mean uh, it's very unusual for publishers to take on well, I mean, I'm not the agent here, but uh, on the whole, publishers don't take on a one-book contract. It would definitely be more than one book, and ideally, they'd like them to be in a series. I mean, at the moment, the author is the brand. So, you know, yeah. if you can write uh, two or three books and get yourself established, but it's much easier to get established if you stick to the same thing. I mean, that yeah. bores me as a critic. Well, I think that's, that's really <laughs> disappointing. But I think if you want to get published and you want yeah. to find readers, yeah. that is what you are best advised to do but yeah, please, a little bit please. of discipline a little discipline there focus on your genre <laughs> yeah. yeah but please 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 don't make it a sequence or a series which just means it goes on getting thinner and thinner into titles six seven and eight not always true but that's a yeah. big generalization yeah i think yeah. a trilogy works well because again in terms of narrative arc you can have a sense that the middle one is something slightly different that can be the more gentle one whatever I think three is manageable, but I don't think many authors can hold in their head a story that's yeah. going to step, stretch beyond very that. Difficult. That'd be my very view. Difficult. Uh, question from Hannah. Where would you say do YA readers mostly look for the next book to read? Friends recommendations, Goodreads, School Library, other? Other, I think. Other. <laughs> I don't know what other. But, well, they do go it's, to it's things It's a big like mystery the, black box. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, I don't think the school library is where many of them go, sadly. Um, I think Friends Recommendations is definitely something they do. There's a lot of it on Twitter. I mean, authors are all over Twitter, and I think quite oh, a lot yeah. of them have quite a young following. Yeah. And then they go to things like Yelk, which is the YA Literary Conference. Um, yeah. I mean, there are places you can find YA, but they aren't, I mean, you know, you're not going to find them in uh, review papers. You're not going to find them much on the book. I mean, unfortunately, they're not much on display in the bookshops. And one of the reasons why uh, it's hard to get published and or to, to get an audience in YA is exactly that. How do the readers find their books? Yeah, I know. Associated question. It's kind of relevant. Uh, do you have any strong feelings about electronic media versus the printed word on paper? No, I don't. I'm very, very Catholic in my taste about reading. I think how you get your story is up to you. I mean, I happen to uh, love listening to audiobooks, and actually mm. I find it easier to understand the story arc, not necessarily the, the, the sort of small drama, but the big arc I find yeah. much easier to pick up listening than I do reading. And I, I, yeah. I just think everybody should be allowed to access stories they want to access. Yeah, exactly. Access Absolutely it. right. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people have been doing that in lockdown. I think they just like books read to them, actually. Adult yeah. reader as well. 
Yeah. yeah, fantastic. I Let's mean, there isn't a moral superiority to reading print, and we have to be very careful not to not confuse the skill of reading and the weight that has within education with what real reading for pleasure is about, because once it's reading for pleasure, it doesn't matter how you do it. Fair enough. We just want you to read something, don't we? Yes, excellent. Let's look yeah. at submission number three. We're going to be reading that, and we'll come back and talk to Julie a little bit more. And this is called Here Eyes Don't Wear Capes. Heroes Don't Wear Capes. It's a contemporary picture book. Well, hey, it's from Sarah. And this is Sarah's blurb. Seven-year-old Billy knows it's not the cape or bulging muscles that makes a superhero super. He's certain of this fact because he is a superhero and all he needs are his glasses, hearing aid and a, a whole lot of kindness. In this story, Billy tries to convince the reader that he's a superhero, even though he doesn't fit the usual superhero stereotype. Recalling occasions when he has used his supervision, super hearing and super kindness to save the day. Let me tell you about Sarah. I'm a mum uh, to a 12-year-old avid reader and I'm a primary teaching assistant working within a year six class who are both my biggest cheerleaders and critics. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Um, although this story is a picture book, I also write both chapter and middle grade books. And we are going to give you the best possible start we can because we've got a reading from Bev. Heroes Don't Wear Capes by Sarah Wynn. Read by Bev. I am a superhero. No, really, I am. Okay, so I don't look like a superhero. I don't have big muscles or a cape. I can't fly or leap tall buildings either. But that doesn't matter because I do have superpowers. Like what, you ask? Well, just this morning, my teacher, Mrs Smith, lost a pile of papers. I only had it ten minutes ago, she cried, searching everywhere. Before long, the class started chatting, and some were even making paper aeroplanes. I knew I had to do something. I reached for my glasses and slid them onto my face. I don't like my glasses. They're big and ugly and orange, and I take them off if I think I can get away with it. But this was an emergency. Supervision activated. I spotted the papers straight away. They're over there, Mrs Smith, I shouted, pointing at the paper poking out from under her laptop. Oh, thank goodness for your supervision, she said. Then she turned to the class. Here is your maths homework for the weekend. A groan rippled across the class. I wasn't very popular after that. But you can't choose who you rescue when you're a superhero, can you? What's that? That's not a superpower? Sure it is. No? Then how about this? Last Friday, me and Sanjit were at Mandy's house. Mandy's dead lucky because she's got a gazillion pets and I haven't even got one. Anyway, we were upstairs playing video games when Mandy leapt up and dashed over to her hamster cage. The door was wide open. Mr Fluffy has escaped, she cried. We looked under the desk. We looked behind the bookcase. We looked everywhere. There was no sign of Mr Fluffy. I knew I'd have to use another one of my superpowers. I've got a plan, I told them, turning my hearing aid up to the loudest setting. Super hearing activated. Mandy and Sanjit know I need silence for my super hearing to work, so they stood quietly and watched. I turned my head this way, I turned my head that way, and then I heard it. 
a scritch, scratch, scritch noise coming from Mandy's bed. There, I whispered, pointing to the lump in her duvet. Oh, thank goodness for your super hearing, Mandy said, grabbing Mr. Fluffy and putting him back in his cage. There, how's that for superhero action? Still not convinced? How about this then? Last week, me and Mum were at the supermarket when a toddler started crying. He was so loud. All the other shoppers were staring and his mum looked really embarrassed. Now, I've got a baby cousin, so I know exactly what to do. I wheeled over to him and crossed my eyes. Then I stuck out my tongue and wiggled my eyebrows. He stopped screaming, but he looked like he might start again any second. So I shoved my hand in my armpit and made squidgy noises like my big brother had shown me. The boy giggled and clapped his hands. I was almost done. For my grand finale, I reached into my pocket and pulled out the lolly I'd been saving for when I got home. Can I give him my lolly? I asked his mum. She smiled and nodded, so I held it out for him to take. Quick as a flash, he grabbed it, ripped off the wrapper and shoved it straight in his mouth. My work was done. I turned my wheelchair around and went back to my mum, feeling all happy. It turned out she'd been watching the whole time. Did you have to use one of your superpowers again? She asked as we carried on shopping. Yeah, the work of a superhero is never done, I replied with a shrug. Mum ruffled my hair, like she always does when I've done something good. Well, you know what, she said. Being kind is the most important superpower of all. Would you believe it? She put a whole family-sized pack of lollies in our basket, just for me. It's great being a superhero. Oh, yeah. Let's see what the um, genius room is saying. Uh, lovely reading. Uh, reviewing. Uh, Bev's reading. Oh, nice. Ankara, I like the idea, says, says Ankara. There's some nice writing, but definitely needs rewrites and cuts. And he says, I can't picture <laughs> a pun there. This as a picture book. Vicky loved it, loves the line, turning my hearing aid up to the loudest setting. Hannah likes the super hearing hearing aids. I know a child who calls hers magic ears. And Galadriel just feels flat and rather bland. think a rewrite would help. Johnny, it's nice. Again, pictures would be good. And Jan says, feels like I've seen the title before. Loads of memes. And Eva says, children will find something else to do during this reading. Mm, not referring to reader, but content. And Andy likes, uh, you can't choose who you rescue. Really nice line. What did you think, Julia? Well, I thought the trouble was with it was, was it, it was it was i know you know a picture book meant to be quite simple but it was sort of too simple it was too repetitive i thought it was a great title although i think it's probably been used before but that doesn't matter yeah, it might have been. Mm. um i think uh it was a lovely lovely heartwarming concept and i think uh the idea of the child using their disability to turn it into superpowers really nice so i thought everything about that was fine um i thought the problem was that you can't have three things the same, as it were, one after the other like that, without any something different happening. We yeah, just needed yeah, something yeah. different. I think it's a bit I mean, bland, you know, isn't it? It was a it was a bit samey. Mm. And so I think we got tired before the end. 
Um, but I thought the feel of it was very nice. I thought he yes. was a nice sounding character. I thought the interactions with the other children was good. I think the bit of background. You see, she could. I would have done it beefing it up more so that, you know, you did one story, but with a bit more beef in it. Huh. So, you know, I wouldn't have used started with the one of finding the teacher's papers because that's inherently quite boring. But the fluffy, the hamster one, you know, that's a very good story, potentially. And I would focus on that story yeah. with the boy with those powers and turn it into one thing about what one story one lot of superpowers but with much more background Brilliant flesh advice. out the children absolutely and yeah. stick with that there you go sarah you've heard it from the expert what did you think ali um the, the, lots of things i loved about it i loved the chatty tone that i thought that drew mm. you in quite quickly and, and the fact that it was first person i like the fact that they broke the fourth wall so very early on because again you know it, it draws you really quite in uh, and i like the humor um but certainly things like in the third situation i quite agree i mean having three pretty much of the same scenario by the third time we'd kind of got the hang of it really that you know that they had disabilities and they were being turned into to superhero features um also i wasn't quite clear what the problem was uh you know they they yeah. have a disability but that not is not the problem what are they trying to solve and the only mm. problem it seems to be at the moment that we're trying to convince the reader that they are a superhero when they're clearly not and i yeah. didn't quite i didn't quite see and i didn't see yeah, if it was sustainable point. whether we were going to keep going with this somehow and, yeah. and where we would be going because yeah. um, in fact they yeah. seem to be surrounded by very sympathetic characters you know the teacher yeah. saying oh you've got your super character you know <laughs> oh here's your mum being congratulating yes. you on you know being nice the world was like that yeah. yeah yeah so so i didn't quite see where our where our plot was really yeah. so and i think solving it by handing sweets solving it by you know making rude noises under his armpit for the other child you know great yeah. lovely you know perfect yeah. Good. Um, but solving by handing the child sweets i think was a bit off no. as well <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. yeah, good yeah. point. Fantastic. There you go, uh, Sarah. You got yeah. a solid 63 there. And bags of good advice, actually. Bags of good advice. Um, more questions for Julia right now. Um, they're coming in thick and fast, Julia. You're very popular. One okay. of my most popular guests. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I have to try and get you back. Um, first question um, How could the entire publishing industry nearly have missed Harry Potter? Oh, easily. It's so easy to say that with hindsight. I mean, I read that book. I read, I mean, you know, I could be a rich person by now. I've had at least <laughs> two proofs of it and a first edition. And yeah. I, you know, I, I'm humbled because I was wrong. And I mean, I don't, I don't say that just because, you know, but because I, I don't say that just because JK was successful, but because actually I think she's very, very talented. But I think, you know, as somebody who reads a lot of stuff, uh, that the opening bit of Harry Potter and Philosopher's Stone is so subdull that that was really all I could think. And that's and maybe what people read. Maybe that's what they that's, read. Yeah, mm. and maybe that's what yeah. people like. But the trouble is, if you're a me person, if you're a critic, you're always looking for something new and original. So mm. I can see why people missed it. Um, and of course, you know, people often say to me, you know, what is it that's made it so special? Why is it so much bigger than anything else? That is an unanswerable question. That is mm. the magic. You know, mm. that's the curious thing about publishing. That's why people love doing it. It's so yeah. exciting. It's yeah. a hunch business. People have to back yeah. something that they think you can. You can stack the things up and you can enumerate and you it's not a bean counting business you won't get yeah. an answer yeah. it's a hunch yeah. 
I've had lots. I've had lots of answers over the years from publishers <laughs> to that. But I mean, if there was an answer to that, every publisher yes. would have published Harry Potter. Exactly. Exactly. Lots of lookalikes. They're all yeah. half as good. So exactly. what do you say? You know, yeah. I think huge credit to J.K. Rowling. Huge credit to Barry Cunningham for spot, spotting her and yeah. getting her started. And then, but the real credit let, goes to Joe for picking up the story. If you look cold at book one it's got some good ideas in it but if you look at the brilliance as the long sequence evolved some are better than others but if you look at her creativity it's absolutely breathtaking yeah school librarian says i've noticed fewer children are willing to invest their time in longer dense text books nowadays preferring instead shorter reads and illustrated formats what are julia's thoughts on this i agree (laughs) i feel just the same good thing thing or bad things uh, but I mean, I think no. I mean, well, y- you know, historically, what's quite interesting: children's books weren't doing very well at the end of the 1990s, and had gone down to being only about 50 or 60 thousand words long, mm. and because children didn't have very much reading stamina. Along comes J.K. with 93 thousand words, or is it 97 for Harry Potter? Completely mm. changed the face of publishing. Yeah. Everybody was suddenly expected to read all of that. I had to read all of that. I can tell you, it practically kills you. These huge books, huge tomes, hundreds of the pouring through the letterbox and i think this i mean i like minimalism i like short books i think you can get a lot said in a short book yeah yeah davspill says what kind of market is there for reimaginings of literary works for children what about collections of related short stories Short stories are very difficult to sell in children's difficult. books. Uh, yeah. People don't want people don't want short stories in children's books, even though I yeah. think they are lovely. And after all, we probably all first uh, heard stories which were essentially short stories, i.e., fairy mm. stories or folk stories. But yeah. I would not, as an author, sat down to write a collection of short stories and reimaginings you can only do of, that uh, when of you're literary. very well established. Reimaginings not a good of idea. Literary. No. Okay. There I mean, go, people don't. quite like it, but I think you have to, on the whole, what they really like is an author like Jacqueline Wilson doing her version of things like Five Children and It or yeah. the Railway Children. You know, that's nice. Yeah. But I think for an ordinary author, try and find your own story is better advice. Yeah. Great advice, actually. Let's look at our penultimate submission of the day. And this is from Andrew. Hello, Andrew. I think you're in the uh, YouTube channel, aren't you? Middle grade comedy detective. Oh, yes, there you are. You're saying hello. Nice to see you, Andrew. Harry Lowe and the Hairy Staircase. Okay, this is Andrew's blurb. 11-year-old Harry Lowe dreams of becoming a private detective, but works as a servant for the ridiculous King Geoffrey and Queen Isadora and her 32 kilometres long hair. <laughs> wow. Funny. I like that. <laughs> Uh, oh, my childish sense of humour is already uh, on the go. When the Queen goes missing, Harry has the perfect opportunity to prove himself. If he doesn't find the Queen, some, someone far more cruel than the royals will take over the kingdom. Will Harry find the Queen, catch the villain and save the country despite exploding cows, guard-grabbing eagles and medieval traffic wardens? Terry Pratchett, so let me tell everybody about about you, Andrew. By night, you've, you've got Julia laughing, that's a good sign. Uh, by night, I host alternative variety nights and perform stories, poetry, and improv comedy. By day, I am a housing officer. Very serious. Uh, creative writing is part of my BA Humanities degree at Mid Glamorgan University. I had a three week fringe run of my play, You've Been a Wonderful Audience, at Barons Court Theatre. Rowan Atkinson told the director. 
jazz bond it was the best thing he had done now what does that mean the best thing that rowan had done or the director had done <laughs> makes a difference actually <laughs> Uh, for two years, I co-wrote and performed in the immersive pop-up theatre show, The Tea Time Wonder Game. Time Out said our show was like a live-action version of Jumanji. I completed the writing for children course at City University and the children's writing workshop at City Lit. Good old City Lit. There's so many mentions on this show, actually. Mm. Um, so we would like to present you with the very best possible reading you can get from John. Harry Lowe and the Hairy Staircase. Written by Andrew Sayers. Read by John. Warning! This is a very hairy story. The hairiest story you will ever read. It's also very mucky. And smelly. Don't say I didn't warn you. Final warning. Honestly, you might not want to read this book. Lots of really disgusting things happen in it. Okay, have it your way. Welcome to the dirty, rotten, stinking, faraway kingdom of nearby. All the other countries are glad it's far away, so they don't smell so much. Who am I? Sure, I'll tell you. The name's Lowe. Harry Lowe. I'm 11 years old and I'm a private detective. I'm working on the most difficult case of my life. It's also the first case of my life. Wish me luck. Chapter 1 from outside the blacksmith's, I watch Ivan's apprentice hammer away at a horseshoe, while a knight, a monk, and a court jester impatiently wait with their horses. It's a shame that Ivan the blacksmith isn't here, moans the knight. We wouldn't have to wait quite so long. Yes. Moans brother Michael, the monk. Ivan is a much, much quicker blacksmith. A pantomime horse with floppy back legs trots in. But it's not a real pantomime horse. It's me. Harry Lowe, in disguise. You see, I have to carry out my investigations in secret. I've got floppy black legs because I couldn't get anyone to get in the back end of the horse. For quite a while, the knight, the monk and the court jester stare at me. Very rude if you ask me. No, they're not wearing party costumes. That's a real knight, that's a real monk and that's a real court jester. Really? The knight feeds his horse a carrot. John, do you provide horseshoes for floppy horses in this establishment? No often. So, where is Ivan the blacksmith? That's what everyone wants to know. Last night, Ivan disappeared halfway through shoeing a horse. That was very unlike him, because he doesn't like horses having to hop. I get out my magnifying glass and search for clues. It's a shame my magnifying glass is so cracked and mucky. I found it in a rubbish tip. A rubbish tip! And it's hard to see with the horse's hair on me. No signs of a struggle and no footprints. Even though the mud in the ground here is knee deep. Just like all the other cases. Hang on the wall are Ivan's overalls. They're super large. It must have taken more than one person to take him away. Or possibly five million ants. Ants are very strong, you know. Pinned to the clothes is a ransom note. Give me the treasure chest with the treasure in it, or Ivan will be my slave forever. Signed, The Scarlet Spotted Fiend. The Scarlet Spotted Fiend can't be making much money out of his kidnappings. Ivan's family couldn't afford an empty treasure chest, let alone a full one. None of the kidnappers or the victims are rich. The stonemason, the miller, the ploughman, my pal, Inspector Bob and the lumberjack are all like most of us here. Poor. 
Now what sort of fiend only kidnaps poor people? Can I help you? Asks the apprentice. Take off the horse's head, you're fooling no one. I tug and tug? Wow, taking off a horse head is harder than you think. Rolling his eyes, the apprentice tugs at the horse's head. The knight helps him. Eventually, and with a lot of effort, the horse head comes off. Catching my breath, I say, I just have a few questions, Johnny. What were you doing the night that Ivan disappeared? And why do people only have one nose? Actually, you only have to answer the first question. Why should I answer your questions? Why should I answer your questions? Stop repeating everything I'm saying. Stop repeating everything I'm saying. Really, you're getting on my nerves. Really, you're getting on my nerves. I don't know why people only have one nose. No, not that question, the other one. Mum bursts in. Helkins, the town crier told me he saw you come in here. What are you doing? You've got a job interview in an hour's time. Why are you dressed as a horse? Alright, so lots and lots of comments on vocal characterizations by Johnny. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's difficult to separate the reading from the uh, the text sometimes. Uh, Johnny, uh, who's just read it, thought he said, I thought it was lots of fun. Martin can visualize the world. And Cora, lots of like in this great fun. Of course, Johnny's voice is adding to this. And Kate says, bet you had to suck vocal zones for the rest of the day after this, this recording, Johnny. I bet he did too. Eva says, I think kids would enjoy this silliness. I quite enjoy enjoyed it too, but that says something about me, I think. Let's see what Ali thought. Yeah, I loved it too. I, I thought the humour was great. I thought it's uh, loved again the chatty tone. Um, felt very drawn in right from the beginning. And, and like the way he started by, by the warning, which again, I think kids would absolutely love. The yeah, I, I like that. I like that. I haven't seen that before. I like that a lot. So, yeah. It was nicely uh, insane, wasn't it? There's a kind of a crazy sense of humour at work there. That's a kind of appeals to me, but yeah, that's probably yeah. just me. Uh, title? Uh, Thoughts on title? It's a bit derivative. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I thought it was fine. And perhaps it's a mistake to call it Harry something, but yeah. what with everything. But you know, apart from that, no, I thought I thought it was really very good. Um, and, and and there was some great phrases. You know, things like the blacksmith doesn't like horses having to hop. Yeah, that's <laughs> nice yeah, line. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> nice uh, line. Yeah, quite a lot of a lot that's of phrases in there that I liked. So, what do you think, Julia? I really like this. I mean, I think. Um, a, a real sense of the audience which was nice i mean i thought he really knew who he was writing it for yeah. uh and that was great and i think there would be a lot of people who liked it um i think the jokes were very good um i laughed and i'm a hard heart when it comes to such kind of funny texts uh the only thing i would think is it would be very and this is the problem with this sort of book it's really mm. hard to maintain that for you know yeah. however many words you want a long book to be i mean yeah. we're talking you know quite a lot of pages and to keep it all up like that is really really tough and i don't know how mm. you manage that and i think you have to find a way of having a lot of jokes but also some passages which are kind of relatively sane and sort of calm otherwise you just you, we, we, you know the reader dies and you die because you just can't sustain it but i thought such a great effort and um and great craftwing. I mean, you know, really good writing, really good, funny writing. And that's mm. very, very hard to do. It is hard to do. It's really hard to do, actually. We get a lot mm. of submissions that are humorous and they don't quite pull it off. Mm. Um, so, 
I have to say, Andrew, look, you are doing supremely well, actually. 74 is an unusual score for pop-ups, but you're, you're making it right up there. And you've got a very good chance, I think, of winning the show. We have one more submission. Before that, we have... I'm going to limit it to just three more questions to Julia, although we could keep you here all night, actually. There's so much that people want to ask you about. Um, do you approve of the assignment of a recommended reading age for children's and YA books? Who do you think benefits most from these recommendations? Uh, people who don't know anything about buying books who then yeah, get comfortable <laughs> to buy it uh, because it's got an age on it. I mean, it, obviously, no, of course I don't like it because, I mean, you know, what age reader are you? You know, we all read up, we all read down. Single digits. <laughs> all right, single digits. Parents become obsessed about children's, you know, we all know the mm. parents who looked in the other children's folder to see if the child was reading a better book. You know, this sense of progression, and, you know, I spend a lot of time hovering around in children's bookshops, and it drives me mad that parents yeah. always say, oh, no, that's too easy for you. It was an American thing. It's too easy, you know. Yeah. Well, it's a marketing thing. It's a very important thing for publishers to get books. Pe people don't buy books. I mean, there is a very good reason to have it. People don't buy books if they can't be sure it'll be right for the child. Hmm. And it's no good asking the person in the bookshop because they won't know. So hmm. people feel very confused and think, well, I won't buy that. I'll buy a toy that says four plus on it. And that hmm. is a huge, huge shame. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. are we talking about, particularly with under 10s, are we talking about, is this a book that you would enjoy being read to you, which is one age? Or is it a book that you would enjoy reading to yourself, which is another hmm. age? Are you a good reader? Uh, you know, whatever we call it, a good reader, but somebody who, I mean, I didn't, I was a terrible reader. I didn't hmm. really learn really? to read till I was really? about eight. Really? And so this idea that reading very young is such a sort yeah. of special thing has yeah. completely passed me by. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think it's a pity, but I think if it gets more people to feel confident about buying books, then I reluctantly have to mm. accept that it's a useful thing on some books. Yeah, but well, I would my, keep it to a very, very minimum. Yeah, I agree. My concern is actually puts people off, you know, because I mean, it, mm. you, know, you mustn't read outside of your age age group or category. Of course you must. And you've got to experiment. Of course you must. You, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, do you think there are new classic children's yeah. books, inverted got classic children's books coming through? What would be your criteria for a classic? Blimey. Well, yes, I think there are. I think one of the things we forget about classics is that because there are now a lot of them, because there have been a lot of children's no, books over a long time, we think there were more, there used to be more, but actually, if you divided it up by the number of years, it probably would be only as there are now. And I think, yes, every year there are some truly exceptional books, and I think those will you know, I mean, if we're meaning by classic, if we're meaning books that are still being read, we're mm. actually at an astonishing period. I mean, every day I open a package and it's 25 years of something or 40 yeah. years of something else. Yeah. You know, children's books, good children's books last a fantastic length of time. That's something the adult authors never really can forgive them for because their yeah. books last so long. Um, yeah. And I think, yes, there are new classics. What are the criteria? Well, again, I mean, you know, if there was a true answer to that, every one would publish classics um yeah, yeah. there is there is i mean the special ingredient in a special children's book is something i could ask you all and you would 
all have one that was special to you, but we wouldn't mm. necessarily all overlap. Although when I compiled the 1001 children's books to read before you grow up, I was absolutely staggered to find the books that I thought were unique to me. You know, I thought, oh, this is a book that I loved as a child. It must be great. It turned out to be classics to lots of other people as well. Oh, really? So I think there are some, I think there are, having said I can't say what they are, and I don't want to say what they are because I certainly can't, but I think there are some things about books that make them classics and we could mm. all probably sit down and, and construct a list and yeah. there are some and it and it goes back to this thing about the simple top line message or the underlying message yeah. and i think the thing that you carry away the kernel that lives in your heart and you find yourself going back to at a much later date sometimes when you have your own children some just times just you go yeah. back to it that's what makes a classic yeah very good definition. You've obviously given this a lot of thought. Uh, final question, sadly. Uh, lots more, but this is our last one. Is there a subject or topic that you feel is important, but underrepresented in children's books today? Yes, millions. I mean, I think, you know, my, 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 all right, I'll just give you one example of something that I think is a problem, which oh. is that if you read contemporary children's literature, uh, which is, I think, fascinating because it's a barometer of what we think about children and childhood. Mm. It's such an important thing to look at. I mean, politicians and sociologists ought to study it more. But the very sad thing is that it is very hard for a child who doesn't live in, in London or the Southeast to find something that really repl replicates their experience. We have very few hmm. what I would call, re I hate the word regional, but oh. we have very few writers who write from a, a, a different um, area. So David yeah. Almond is the obvious exception. I was thinking David Almond, actually. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. yeah you, you've got it. I mean, he yeah. is it. He, he yeah. lives in Newcastle. He is a true deep Geordie and he writes yeah. about Newcastle. But you know, I, I've done a lot of work with colleagues in the north of England, and you know, the, the, we, we w what we describe in children's books is actually a very southern English way of life, and I think that's mm. a huge, huge pity. And mm. we should see represent when we talk about diversity, we should think that as part of Very that as being part of the diversity we need. Yeah, absolutely. Publishers, <laughs> take notes. <laughs> Julie's told you, you, you got to do it. And we've got to look at our final submission of the day which is the Trashland Takeover. I'll say that again. I like the title, The Trashland Takeover. It's chapter book fantasy adventure by K.E. Salisbury. This is the blurb. Take a trip to Trashland, a magical world for every toy, marble and puzzle piece that's ever been lost by its human caretaker. Pip and Sky don't know Trashland exists until they fall through a secret portal. The cool part is being in Trashland gives them surprise superpowers, but the villainous Sir Gravelot wants those powers for his own evil ends. Pip and Sky must stop him fast or risk getting trapped in Trashland. It's a fun place, but they don't want to be there forever. Let me tell you about our author. Before I got my second dream job as a school librarian, I did my first dream job, which was working for the BBC as a reporter and newsreader. The great thing about writing books is you're allowed to make up stories, unlike the BBC, where they take a dim view of that sort of thing. I've heard that. I've loved workshopping the Trashland Takeover in primary schools. Uh, from my own experience, I've learned that most children love books that are exciting, make them laugh, or not too long. The Trashland Takeover is all three, so please help me get it on the shelves. And if we can help you, it will be through a reading from Emily. The Trashland Takeover by Kate, read by Emily.
Chapter 1. Purple Tentacle Alert Pip reckoned the glow-in-the-dark cockroach was going to win, but the giant grasshopper might overtake with a well-timed leap, even though one of its plastic legs was bent from when Pip had trodden on it, and the ladybird with the lost antenna could go very fast if you pushed its bottom in exactly the right place. It was going to be an exciting race. On your marks! Pip lined up the toy bugs on her bedroom floor. Get set! She shoved away the piles of action figures, slick wheels, cars and dolls' clothes so the racers had a clear run. Okay, Tedzilla? Pip's ancient teddy was propped against her bed in an important sort of way. I'm ready, said Pip in Tedzilla's voice. Pip hung the starter whistle around Tedzilla's neck. Well, it was probably her neck. Tedzilla had been repaired so many times, Pip couldn't remember which bit was where anymore. Go! Hey! Tedzilla turned a somersault and landed on her back. Pip blinked. Tedzilla had never done gymnastics before. Not without Pip's help. But this time, Pip hadn't touched her. Was this what Mum meant when she said Pip's imagination ran away with her sometimes? Pip blinked again. Tedzilla was propped against the bed as if nothing had happened. Okay, it was just her imagination. Running away with her. And there were three bugs waiting to start the final race of the bug bonanza. Let's do this, Tedzilla. On... Your m a purple tentacle shot out from under the bed and tugged Tedzilla into the darkness. What? Heart thudding, Pip lunged for a paw, but the tentacle yanked Tedzilla out of sight, and Pip was left holding the whistle. Hey! Pip snapped on a pair of swimming goggles and dived after Tedzilla and the tentacle. Youch! Something jabbed her right in the kneecap. Pego bricks? Knobbly plastic pego bricks were the worst thing in the world to kneel on. Who left those under my bed? Pip hastily swept herself a safe path through the rustling crisp bags and abandoned sweet wrappers. Mum said it was a dreadful mess, and if Pip kept things tidy, she wouldn't lose track of so many toys. But Pip reckoned there was actually a black hole under the bed, which sucked everything inside it forever. Dozens of dolly shoes, left ones only, herds of sweetheart ponies, millions of marbles, and five wagons from Toby's train set had gone under the bed and never come out again. Pip hadn't actually seen the black hole, but she was pretty certain it was there. Mind you, someone should clean this up, Pip muttered. It's a disgrace. Her fingers found a pair of tab-bottomed jumping frogs, a hole in the wall and a cracked snow globe with a mountain cottage scene. Pip shook the globe to see if it still worked, then threw it aside. Where was Tedzilla? Wait, a hole in the wall? Had she finally found the black hole? Pip squinted inside. The hole was large enough to crawl through and full of creepy grey shadows. But there was no sign of Tedzilla or, luckily, any purple tentacles. Tedzilla! shouted Pip. Illa! 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 said the hole. Pip tossed the cracked snow globe into the swirling grey shadows to see what would happen. It disappeared. Next, she pressed the tabs on the jumping frog so they sprang into the grey shadows, one after the other. They also disappeared. Pip sucked the end of a long red plait, for better thinking, and made a list in her head called Extremely Important Equipment for a Creepy Tunnel Mission. It went like this. 1. Swimming goggles. 2. Mission controller. Me. 3. Second in command. Must be a brainy person. 4. Pocket torch. Check batteries. 5. Superpowers. 3 was easy. Like always, her best friend Sky would be second in command. After all, 
He was the brainiest person she knew. Skye lived on the other side of the wall between their next door houses, so she could fetch him in less than two minutes. Unless he was playing a video game. Then it might take two hours. But this was urgent, and Pip was bigger than Skye. And for the final time tonight, let's have a look and see what the geniuses in the genii room are doing. Um, and I think Ed says, yeah, Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe meets Stick of the Dump. Fun! <laughs> and, yeah, um, and, oh, it keeps moving. Um, and but that synchronicity, somebody else was just dreaming of Stick of the Dump last night. Good sign, I think. Um, Vagabond, lovely first line martin says trashland would be a great name for a bargain store it's probably coming already <laughs> poundland becomes trashland uh vicky says um this is rel uh, relating to a comment that uh, julie just made actually um about uh, regionality because says so true read different areas i lived in namibia for a while and it was heartbreaking all these children learning to read from books that were european centric um, yeah, as Galadriel said, synchronistic event, Trump of Stig. Lots of lovely writing, Suzanne Cora. Martin says, first story today with real jeopardy and tension. Mm -hmm. Were you feeling the tension, Ali? <laughs> oh, very much so. I, I thought it was great. I loved the it was confident, fluent writing. It was brilliant. And very strong idea of characters. So many things came out about her. You know, the fact she's bigger than Sky, that she had to make a list in her head and, you know, as somebody said in the chat room, the sucking your plat for clearer thinking. Um, so, <laughs> I think it's like, <laughs> um, oh yes, and her you know, getting under the bed and all this stuff, and her saying this is disgusting. Somebody should clear this, and you think, no. um, so yes, and I thought, and words like Tedzilla, I thought it was a great name for for the teddy so i thought getting straight in with the action and and you do have this feeling of something's about to happen you know something dire is about to occur so uh, and also very good sense of place you know with the the, the boy living just next door etc so, so i enjoyed it i thought yeah, it was pacing good. it was fun Excellent. and i can good. see it being good. sustainable like a uh, title yes or no like it reasonably reasonable yeah yeah i think one, I one or two people, people yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a lot of people really that. like it. I, I quite like it. Mm. Okay, press your vote button. Press your vote button, Ellie, yes. and Ooh. we'll see what Julie thought. Uh, I like the title. I like the energy. I think the point that was made on the on the chat about it having jeopardy was good. I didn't like the plastic. There was a bit too much of the plastic toys and how to kind yeah, of make them bit. work. And I'm a bit worried about this idea of this land with missing jigsaw pieces and. Uh, little bits of plastic. I kind of think I could get quite bored when I got into it, but I'm not, you know, that kind of fun. I mean, I'm, I do. I'm quite good at going through the wardrobe, but I kind of yeah. worry a lot about what the land is going to be like when I get the there. trash land. The yeah. trouble about fantasy is, you know, as Jan Mark, a very distinguished fantasy writer, once said, is you know, the problem with most people writing fantasy is they break the rules. You cannot just make something magical happen, you know, because yeah. you need a way of getting out of a difficult corner. So that would be my worry yes. about it. But I think yes. it was a great idea and a real, it had real pace, you know, something happened, even though that huh. was a short extract. I think we all probably felt that we started in one place and we ended somewhere else. That's yeah. a difficult thing to make your reader feel. So congratulations. Jolly good. Excellent. Good, good words there. Let's look at the numbers. Oh my goodness, this is close, isn't it? <gasps> Uh, Andrew got a 74 last time I looked, and K.E. Salisbury is in currently with a 73. Can you believe it? It's that close, guys. It's that close. But nevertheless, we are right at the end of the show, so let's have a look at the scorecard as it stands right now. 
Yeah. It's hair's breadth. Well, actually, uh, I say 74, of course, 75. This is what happens, guys, when people in the genius room vote. They may take a few minutes to vote. Andrew has gone up to a 75. K.E. has got a 73. And that means, very clearly... Congratulations, Andrew. Very impressive, 75. Very impressive. That's going to be really hard to beat, actually. I know everyone's going to try next week when we have five more fabulous submissions from fabulous writers. But 75 stand a very good chance, I'd say, for being the, um, the, the monthly winner. Let's see. Meanwhile, I want to say thank you so much to Julia for being here and her words of wisdom have been really valued thank you so much julia we hope you come on again thank you ali yeah. thank you narrators thank you everyone who makes pop-up submissions what it is and we'll see you same time next sunday all of the world's a stage welcome to the show i glance at you you smile at me like we're all alone